the Right Thing, your weekly writing prompt podcast. I'm Alexandra. And I'm Jarvis. And Jarvis and I are aspiring writers, but we never actually sit down and find the time to write. Mm-hmm. So we are issuing a challenge. Each week we sit down and write a complete short story using three or four randomly generated words. Then we come on the podcast, we read a story, we talk about what we learned in writing it and, and reading it, and then we talk about stories sent in by you wonderful listeners. Exactamundo, we're simply here to help you do the right thing. A doof media, media production. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what was the, the words and theme this week, Jarvis? Sure. So the theme this this week of knowledge of profession. Basically, we asked the audience, and we also picked a story that uh, probably went into a bit of uh, a bit of research on a given profession, and sort of just um, yeah, showed the the research that they got while also creating a creating a story that takes place in a certain profession, um, and the words that facilitated that story are. Polish, topple, muscle, and prevent. Good shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so we, we pulled out a story this week. Uh, what's the title and, and who's it by? So the title of this story is The Romance of a Busy Broker by O. Henry, which is a pen name for William Sidney Porter. Yeah, who apparently died in, in 1910. So there, there was two fun facts about him, apparently. He did two things. One were his uh, so-called O. Henry endings, which is now a ending that has uh, like a big twist and sort of implies, I think, the innate goodness of humans. I think it was those mm-hmm. two things are what make an <laughs> O. Henry ending. Um, but apparently his stories were just full of those where it's an unexpected twist from how you thought things were and usually in, a, in I suppose, a, a wholesome way, sort of. Yeah, a positive way. Um. And then the other thing, uh, so so I went and read his Wikipedia page, apparently, uh-huh. right? So he, he was writing in the United States, right? And he was doing good as a writer, except he embezzled funds from the bank that he worked at. And oh. then uh, he had a warrant out for his arrest, and he was going to go to jail, but he got scared, and he fled, I think, to Colombia or another uh, South Latin American country, right? And, <laughs> I didn't know about yeah, that. Yeah, and there he, uh, I think he teamed up with, uh, or he met and had a friendship with, was it a a train robber? Or uh, it might have, I don't know, maybe it was a con man, I, I can't remember, but like a criminal, right? Yeah. And um, he wrote a bunch of short stories during that time like about their friendship before he finally went and, and served his time in, in jail for he served five years for embezzling eight hundred and fifty six dollars that's which is kind of i mean uh, i know that's nineteen hundred dollars but like damn but yeah it's definitely not worth it but yeah <laughs> so so most of his so most of his short stories were written yes. while he was on the run basically uh, yeah and and in the prison and he had uh, friends publish it under that pseudonym so that they didn't know that he was in jail but the other thing i wanted to say is that because of the short stories that were written in that latin american country that i already forgot the name of uh he's the one that coined the term banana republic which oh, uh really? refers to yeah a country an unstable country completely dependent on a single uh agrarian industry <laughs> Huh. 
Really cool. So, I mean, hey, it seems like he was making waves and making positive stories. And you know what? Sometimes you do have to embezzle a bit just just to make it by. I don't think he needed to serve that that time. I think but. there was also there was an implication in the Wikipedia article. I don't know how accurate this yeah. is to reality. <laughs> Can but you trust it? Probably not. But there was an implication in the Wikipedia article that was basically like, yeah, he was just lazy. And that's why he embezzled stuff. It was an accident, basically. That's what it implied. I don't know if I believe it, but I think it's a fun idea. <laughs> How do you accidentally take money from your company? Well, it just it just so happens to fall in your wallet. They, maybe, maybe he was just supposed to take the money home and count it, and he just miscounted and then kept it. I mean, that's that's probably the story he told the judge. It's probably true. Uh, <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, yeah so, I, I thought that was a fun, fun background fact. That he left two small marks on history. <laughs> two tiny marks. Well, you know what? Uh, I am hoping that we can really feel that sort of frantic nature within this story, or at least get a better sense uh, as to who the guy is versus his um, his antics w- with the law. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but okay, let's just uh, get into it. Sure thing. This is The Romance of a Busy Broker by O. Henry. Pitcher, confidential clerk in the office of Harvey Maxwell, broker, allowed a look of mild interest and surprise to visit his usually expressionless countenance when his employer briskly entered at half-past nine in company with his young lady sonographer. With a snappy, good morning, Pitcher, Maxwell dashed at his desk as though he were intending to leap over it, and then plunged into the great heap of letters and telegrams waiting there for him. The young lady had been Maxwell's stenographer for a year. She was beautiful in a way that was decidedly unstenographic. She forewent the pomp of the alluring pompadour. She wore no chains, bracelet, or lockets. She had not the air of being about to accept an invitation to luncheon. Her dress was gray and plain, but it fitted her figure with fidelity and discretion. In her neat black turban hat was a gold-green wing of a macaw. On this morning, she was softly and shyly radiant. Her eyes were dreamily bright, her cheeks genuine peach blow, her expression a happy one, tinged with reminiscence. Pitcher, still mildly curious, noticed a difference in her ways this morning. Instead of going into the adjoining room where her desk was, she lingered, slightly irresolute, in the outer office. Once she moved over by Maxwell's desk, near enough for him to be aware of her presence. The machine sitting at that desk was no longer a man. It was a busy New York broker, moved by buzzing wheels and uncoiling springs. Well, what is it? Anything? asked Maxwell sharply. His open mail lay like a bank of staged snow on his crowded desk. His keen gray eye, impersonal and brusque, flashed upon her half impatiently. Nothing, answered the stenographer, moving away with a slight smile. Mr. Pitcher, she said to the confidential clerk, did Mr. Maxwell say anything yesterday about engaging another stenographer? He did, answered Pitcher. He told me to get another one. I notified the agency yesterday afternoon to send over a few samples this morning. It's 9.45 o'clock and not a single picture hat or piece of pineapple chewing gum has showed up yet. I will do the work as usual then, said the young lady. 
until someone comes to fill the place. She went to her desk at once and hung the black turban hat with a gold-green macaw wing in its accustomed place. He who has been denied the spectacle of a busy Manhattan broker during a rush of business is handicapped for the profession of anthropology. The poet sings of the crowded hour of glorious life. The broker's hour is not only crowded, but the minutes and seconds are hanging to all the straps and packing both front and rear platforms. And this day was Harvey Maxwell's busy day. The ticker began to reel out jerkily its fitful coils of tape, and the desk telephone had a chronic attack of buzzing. Men began to throng into the office and call at him over the railing, jovially, sharply, viciously, excitedly. Messenger boys ran in and out with messages and telegrams. The clerks in the office jumped about like sailors during a storm. Even Pitcher's face relaxed into something resembling animation. On the exchange, there were hurricanes and landslides and snowstorms and glaciers and volcanoes, and those elemental disturbances were reproduced in miniature in the broker's offices. Maxwell shoved his chair against the wall and transacted business after the manner of a toe dancer. He jumped from ticker to phone, from desk to door, with the trained agility of a harlequin. In the midst of this growing and important stress, the broker became suddenly aware of a high-rolled fringe of golden hair under a nodding under a nodding canopy of velvet and ostrich tips, an imitation sealskin sack and string of beads as large as hickory nuts, ending near the floor with a silver heart. There was a self-possessed young lady connected with these accessories, and Pitcher was there to construe her. Lady from the stenographer's agency to see about the position, said Pitcher. Maxwell turned half around with his hands full of papers and ticker tape. What position? he asked with a frown. Position of stenographer? said Pitcher. You told me yesterday to call them up and have one sent over this morning. You are losing your mind, Pitcher, said Maxwell. Why should I give you any such instructions? Miss Leslie has been given perfect satisfaction during the year she has been here. The place is hers as long as she chooses to maintain it. There's no place open here, madam. Countermand that order with the agency, Pitcher, and don't bring any more of them in here. The silver heart left the office, swinging and banging itself independently against the office furniture as it indignantly departed. Pitcher seized a moment to remark to the bookkeeper that the old man seemed to get more absent-minded and forgetful every day of the world. The rush and pace of business grew fiercer and faster. On the floor, they were pounding a half-dozen stocks in which Maxwell's customers were heavy investors. Orders to buy and sell were coming and going as swift as the flight of swallows, some of his own holdings were imperiled, and the man was working like some high-geared, delicate, strong machine, strung to full tension, going at full speed, accurate, never hesitating, with the proper word and decision and act ready and prompt as clockwork. Stocks and bonds, loans and mortgages, margins and securities, here was a world of finance, and there was no room in it for the human world or the world of nature. When the luncheon hour drew near, there came a slight lull in the uproar. Maxwell stood by his desk with his hands full of telegrams and memoranda, with a fountain pen over his right ear and his hair hanging disorderly strings over his forehead. His window was open, for the beloved janitress, Spring, had turned on a little warmth through the waking registers of the earth. And through the window came a wandering, and perhaps a lost, odor, a delicate, sweet odor of lilac that fixed the broker for a moment immovable. For this odor belonged to Miss Leslie, it was her own, and hers only.
The odor brought her vividly, almost tangibly, before him. The world of finance dwindled suddenly to a speck, and she was in the next room, twenty steps away. By George, I'll do it now, said Maxwell half aloud. I'll ask her now. I wonder I didn't do it long ago. He dashed into the inner office with the haste of a short trying to cover. He charged upon the desk of the stenographer. She looked up at him with a smile. A soft pink crept over her cheek and her eyes were kind and frank. Maxwell leaned one elbow on her desk. He still clutched fluttering papers with both hands and the pen was above his ear. Miss Leslie, he began hurriedly, I have but a moment to spare. I want to say something in that moment. Will you be my wife? I haven't had time to make love to you in the ordinary way, but I really do love you. Talk, quick, please. Those fellows are clubbing the stuffing out of Union Pacific. Oh, what are you talking about? exclaimed the young lady. She rose to her feet and gazed upon him, round-eyed. Don't you understand? said Maxwell, restively. I want you to marry me. I love you, Miss Leslie. I wanted to tell you, and I snatched a minute when things had slackened up a bit. They're calling for the phone now. Tell them, wait a minute, pitcher. Won't you, Miss Leslie? The stenographer acted very queerly. At first, she seemed overcome with amazement. Then tears flowed from her wondering eyes, and then she smiled sunnily through them, and one of her arms slid tenderly about the broker's neck. I know now, she said softly. It's this old business that has driven everything else out of your head for the time. I was frightened at first. Don't you remember, Harvey? We were married last evening at eight o'clock in the little church around the corner. So, so wow, yeah, that's a really strong story. I uh, love how the romantic elements are sort of sprinkled in there during the beginning and then towards the end it becomes a full romance. But at the same time, I do like a lot of the technical jargon that was being used and it really did fill out this setting very much so and also gave us a solid insight into the normal day-to-day of these characters and of course on top of that the ending is at the same time uh sad yet funny uh how someone can for can forget their own wedding but also being so busy to where you can almost understand how so overall i just really digged it yeah, um, I think it's uh, it, it it has that that O Henry ending, I suppose. I I guess that's mm-hmm. that's what it's supposed to be. It, it, it's interesting how it's sort of like a a positive thing, even though it seems kind of. I mean, it's pretty pretty bad to forget your own wedding that happened literally yesterday. Yeah, so I but thought that was she's taking it very well. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like she finds it romantic, I guess, but. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess it would be sweet if if someone you loved wanted to told you that they wanted to marry you, even when you are married. I suppose, right? Yeah. That just like I guess proves that they still want to get married. I guess, but yeah, I can see it being sweet. I mean, when I first read this, it just reminded me of every old VHS yeah. movie that my grandmother has. You know, where like. Uh, the sort of like token busy man just sort of throws his himself at some woman, and she and she automatically re reciprocates. Which of course I think that's definitely a, a trademark of the time. I mean, oh Henry was born eighteen sixty something, was it something like that? 
Yeah, so a long, long time uh, ago. But I mean, even so, I think his prose are like really strong. Um, and I just really like how this story sort of unfolds where we're starting with these lines of um, of dialogue and then we sort of pull out and we see more so what's happening behind the these scenes, but, but more so how this job has affected this main character. Um, so yeah, I mean, overall, I think that's like a really great portion of it to where we do get a lot of the technical aspects of of the the job, but more so we sort of see the possible re relationships that can bud because of the the stressful nature of this job. Yeah, um, I I do like that you uh, chose the story because I do I do think it very much fits the the the, the theme that we had this week about. Um, yeah, doing some research about what these things are. And, and this story is interesting where it doesn't, you know, go into, like, the minutia of, like, yeah, he sold it whenever, you know, the price was going down and bought whenever it was going up and all all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. But, you you know, you do get definitely a feeling for the stress of it and the, um, the, the, the pace of it. And I guess kind of, like, what it feels to be working there. Uh, at a place like that you could definitely also feel like probably like the the sort of rush of of power that someone mm-hmm. in there probably feels you know at the center of so much activity and wrangling and in using so much uh money and stuff like that that they probably feel pretty good about it and i think you know maxwell feels pretty entitled to things is what it, it seems like um, <laughs> yeah i don't know why <laughs> um someone would want to marry him but sure sure uh, yeah, I mean, I, like, n- not to rag on a very old piece that's, of course, from a totally different era, but for me, one of the weakest parts was the uh, was the character of this love interest. I mean, her characterization doesn't go past her being in, in love with this other man, um, which, of course, is a, like, token of the the time. Um, but at the same time, I feel that we could garner deeper understanding about both characters if if her character was more built up, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, it's not it's not very deep. I, I mean, like, yeah, this is definitely uh, like a flawed story. And, and there's definitely a lot to, <laughs> to critique about it. It does feel very much like set in the er- era in like uh, content and writing style. But, you know, it, how I don't know how worth it. it it is to critique something that's literally a hundred years old or more. Yeah, Um, of course. (laughs) Yeah. So I won't necessarily, we won't necessarily go too much into it because, uh, yeah, he's not going to hear it. And besides most people aren't going to be writing stories like this anyway. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's okay. We can leave it in the past a bit, but yeah, it's interesting. There's, there's a lot of use of of metaphors here that I, I think are pretty good. Um, like a lot actually, um, which is uh, interesting. There's a lot of imagery of, of nature and like powerful things in nature, even though, as it says, that there's no nature in here at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I mean, maybe that's even speaking deeper as to how the job itself creates its own sort of nature to you. You know, I mean, if you're used to working in these very busy, high stress places, I have a feeling that you will probably feel out of place in the sort of serene comfort of nature. Sure. You know? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I like going back to how it's a how it's taken out of its time, 
um, you know, over the course of many, many centuries, what we would call nature or sort of normal has changed drastically to where these sort of high stress jobs are even more so glor are even more so glorified versus um seen as something that one wouldn't want to do so it's just very um sort of it's very interesting to see um what a piece from that time really looks like i would say sure um but the thing i noticed is that the main character is repeatedly described as a machine and I think that also mm-hmm. reflects uh, views of the, of the time. I, around this time is when the sort of like modernist notion uh, started appearing, which is like yeah. this um, idea that like progress is fantastic and accelerating progress is fantastic. And like this showed up in um, the in, in like publishing, especially uh, in like fonts and stuff. Like there was kind of a, re- of a revolution around this time of the uh fonts and the ways that that people like structured pages away from Mm -hmm. like the sort of flowery you know printing style that they used to have that sort of emulated like cursive and and things like that um and had you know like the decorated book pages and stuff into a more modern style with like as minimalist uh like text as possible you know like times new roman sort of like versus Actually, well, I can't list it like a fancy flower script, but a fancy flower script hmm, uh, in comparison and um, uh, laying out the, the page in blocks rather than any other sort of uh, shape and being mm-hmm. like quick and to the point and things like that. And I think this is sort of like another echo of that sort of notion, the sort of yeah glorification of, of progress and machinery and efficiency and um, et cetera. So I, mm-hmm. I think yeah. it manifests here in, in, in that way. Definitely. And I mean, that's probably why this story does seem so um, streamlined. I mean, there is no fat. We are learning about the setting. We are learning about this main character's life and uh, what they go through through the day to to day. But there's never that uh, moment where, you know, maybe there's a flashback to a more busier day or a flash forward. And I mean, we aren't really getting we aren't really given any sort of context to their relationship beyond this one moment and i think that was really strong to sort of um also emulate the um very one one track mind way this sort of profession might work so sure yeah um that's all i have to say about the story how about we get into Mm -hmm. um listener submitted story section the listener submitted story section the best section of do the right thing um, we only have one story this this week. I can tell it was probably a very busy week for uh, most of all of us. I know I've been quite busy, but we are glad that we did get a submission and we are eager to talk about it. So this week we, we will be reading a untitled story by Jarby Jazz. Uh, that's right. So let me get into that story. Mm-hmm. So Jeffrey Jazz here, uh, we, we start off not quite certain what is going on. Um, someone is waking up and as we go th- through, we, we get the sense that they are a powerful person, uh, possibly like a like a king of some sort. But the um, balcony is open, which is unusual. And now we start uh, thinking that, oh, there's an assassination attempt. But also the main character's narration is not that concerned about this. <laughs> and that's interesting. Um, then uh, comes in uh antoine a uh big uh orc uh bodyguard as as we find out 
uh but he's like really bloody and and covered in in um and his clothing is all ripped you know clearly there's a conflict going on and our main character is all sluggish and and but so they they just have like a a jovial talk and and we get also that there's probably some sort of relationship between them uh this king and, and his bodyguard um but the, they start escaping as Antoine describes uh, what has been going on, which basically um, a uh, ship crashed and it had a bunch of potions on board. And now there's a mist coming from there that is affecting all the different fantasy races differently. The orcs are, seem perfectly fine. The the elves are sort of like sluggish and, and like they <laughs> just got high, basically. <laughs> and um, I think the dwarves seem unaffected and uh humans um are going crazy and like uh getting violent and attacking people so that's a, a fun com- uh fun combination and um so they they start escaping and we can tell that probably the situation is going to escalate and things measures will be have to take to uh wrangle the the situation uh but it ends on you know sort of a, a funny note with uh the king sort of um, I mean, I'm assuming it's a, a, a king uh, acknowledging that they're dead weight and uh, this is probably an attack and the city is going to erupt in a panic. What a wonderful morning. In hindsight, the open balcony was a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I uh, really do like this story. I think it um, is really benefited from it being from the uh, person in power's point of view. Uh, because we sort of see um, the possibility of a uh, assassination attempt along with other things in a sort of laissez-faire attitude. Um, and I really do like how like the sort of world building that is that is happening here and how this sort of gas or whatever can affect different races in different ways. So I think this is really setting up for a a stronger uh, a stronger conflict later on but i mean for for what we have here i think the prose is is really solid um and yeah i i really do like all of these characters and i do feel the uh, budding tension so overall really great job yeah yeah i i did very much enjoy this story and sort of um thinking about um all of the rest of like this character's relationship and you know what sort of thing might uh come out of this incoming conflict Mm -hmm. definitely definitely well all right thank you so much jarby jazz for your story and also thank you very much for leaving comments this week um if you want to be like all of these wonderful writers and submit your story to do the right thing you can do that by going to slash r slash do the right thing all you have to do is sit down for 30 minutes and write a complete short story using three or four randomly generated words you can see the words as soon as they come out by going to at right thing cast on twitter uh you can also send us an email at writethinkcast at gmail.com and tell us whatever you like um we're also on the discord at I also post the, the words there. We talk about our writing and things. And uh, like we've said, the, the Discord is now free and open to anyone. All you have to do is go to doofmedia.com slash Discord to get a link. Um, and, you know, you can invite a friend as well that needs to get into it. You know, whatever else. Um, obviously, uh, you know, this is a, it's a good way to practice your writing. So if you know anyone that, that needs to practice their writing, um, send them an invite to the Discord and tell them to, to get cracking. Mm-hmm, exactly and if you want to support us and everything else happening in doof media you can do that by donating to the doof media patreon 
donating $10 or more per month will get you exclusive access to exclusive bonus content, including our most recent Doofofer. Yeah, that's right, which I finally posted. <laughs> it is Woo! up there, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that is the one on Steinsgate, so you can hear our conversation about that. What's the one that we're covering? Uh, is, is that your... Uh, the time travel one, or uh, the... mm. I don't know if we've made it official. I mean, we could do either um, erased, or we could do Kakaguri. Just depending on what we are feeling. I mean, we just did a um, a time travel anime, so if we want to stick in the same vein, we could do e- erased. But Kakaguri is just so goddamn good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll pick one of those and we'll figure it out. But it, it'll be good. <laughs> and we'll do Either the other way. one soon enough as well. Um, but yeah, um, there's plenty of things going on in Doof Media. I know uh, that uh, on the 3rd of April at 9.30 p.m. Central Time, uh, the Game Club is going to be on talking about the 3D action RPG Blue Fire, which I know nothing about. Uh, but I'm excited to hear uh, Elliot and Ruben with their expert opinions talk about it. I think this is one of um, Elliot's favorite games because every now and then most of the games are are voted on by patrons and decided that way. But um, every now and then, you know, the, the people running the show <laughs> want to talk about, you know, the things they love. So, um, yeah, that's what's going on that week. And, of course, there's so many other things going on. We finished our directing, uh, our dissecting directors uh, series. Um, I I think the uh, Duke cast is being a little bit different uh, this week and, and the next because uh, Scott, you know, just had a child. Congratulations, Scott. Um, uh, Father Scott, I, I suppose. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, there's the, the show is going to be a little bit different as other guests go in to to fill that gap. Um, but I'm really excited to listen to um, other members of uh, the the Doof cast talk about their favorite things and, and things like that. So I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. Well, all right, I think it's high time to get into next week's words, don't you think? Sure. Next week's words are boot, direct, theory, and home. And y'all will be writing about hate. Yeah, so we wanted to, to spice it up by uh, putting an emotional theme. So, and, and, you know, what stronger emotion is there than hate? I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. um, well, the correct answer is love. Love is nah, stronger than hate. Love isn't strong. Love is stronger than hate. Yeah, it is. Have, have you ever really hated someone? But have you ever really like loved someone, feels? Jarvis? No. Exactly. No, so okay. it's rarer. Uh, you know, if you were talking about like comparative energy, Probably the sum total of all hatred probably outweighs love as a motivating force. Just like it's yeah. it's probably motivated more actions than love has. But I think love can overpower hate. Absolutely. Yeah. I see. I, I think they are very it, similar. I think the same force that drives you to hate is the same force that drives you to love. You're so right. There's no difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, the good and evil are the same, actually. Um <laughs> Well, so have you ever, yes. so, so, so there's stuff like that, that saying, right? Love is stronger than hate. But the thing is like, it is a cliche, but it is actually true. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of stupid cliches. And it's just like, I've heard them so many times, right? It's like, okay, but that's just a saying, but like a lot of them really are true. Like, um, 
the one that I've been thinking about is like, you know, you need to learn to love yourself, right? And it sounds mm, so yeah. stupid and ridiculous because you just but heard it so many times. True. But it's very true. You literally do. It's extremely important to your own mental health to learn how to actually love yourself as much as you would any other loved one. Um, you know, not in a put a, put on a pedestal way, obviously, but, you know, just in like caring about yourself. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's why they are phrases. I mean, I mean, I don't know if it's the feeling first and then the phrase or phrase and then feeling. But I think because we do have these phrases, you know, love is better than than hate. You need to learn to love yourself uh, because we have sort of echoed those so often they sort of become true, you know? Yeah, I think so. Like, like we are speaking these sort of isms into existence, even though they they might have ex they might have existed beforehand. Um, but it also does kind of suck that those phrases are played out and very hackneyed. You know, we mm-hmm. we need something new, a, a a new way to say that love is better than than hate. Uh, hate is not as good as love. New saying. Ooh, New damn, saying. Just okay. coined it. Um, speaking of, let's so let's talk about hate a little bit. Um, yeah. So hate's an extremely strong emotion. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. if you're writing this, uh, you might be tempted to write about things that you hate, which is totally valid. But do you know? Try to do it in a healthy way. You know, mm-hmm. don't don't <laughs> give, put yourself don't in a bad rant. mental space. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh man, now I'm flashing back in, in high school. I was so angsty that I made a game. Um, out of I, I think it was like rant to me is is the game that I invented, <laughs> but it's literally like you just you just you just say literally any topic like fucking toothbrushes is a topic, and then you're supposed to go you're supposed to rant about it for like two minutes, as like that's, viciously that's as you fun. can. Yeah, it, so it's like a that, little bit like, of improv. Reminds me of a uh, theater game. Yeah, absolutely. Except like, I think it was I only came up with it because I like was so angry at the world that like oh, so it needed to manifest to yeah yeah <laughs> so someone someone talked to teenagers because they're not okay anyway is really i don't know what what happens but as soon as you hit 13 and like up until like 18 just you become the worst version of a human being so well it's i think it's multifold i think one you're you know you're going through puberty and then two i think you're figuring out how awful the world is and but Mm -hmm. but it's before you've given up on doing anything about it so but then also it's in that weird like middle section where you might think that you're invincible Mm. but you also know that you are not but you're like no i'm different I'm my own person. Nothing can touch me. And then you do dumb shit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. You do dumb shit. Uh, <laughs> but okay. Uh, let's, yeah, let's get into the story that you're going to write this week. What's the story you're going to write the next week, Jarvis? Oh, actually, uh, let's, no, wait, oh, I have to explain who, what the words I? are. Sorry. Yeah. Um, a boot is, uh, so it's some options here. One, a boot is a kind of shoe that you wear. It often mm-hmm. protects you. It's like leather or uh, sometimes rubber. Um, but yeah. also there's the boot of the car, which is also the trunk. The, the the trunk. Also, mm-hmm. your car can have a boot, which is where they put a lock on one of your mm-hmm. wheels because you parked in the wrong place and they want to yeah. tow it. And they you have to pay to get it removed. You can you can give someone the boot. That's right by kicking them out. Sort of the idea of like you're you're kicking them with your boot to give them the mm. boot. And I'm sure <laughs> there's other ways that you could use that. 
Um, you could also say like a Canadian could say something about something else. <laughs> <laughs> but would you spell it that way? You could. Who knows? You're a yeah, writer. So. Whatever. Um, <laughs> and then uh, so direct, uh, which is to um, take a really Command. forward path. Uh, yeah. Also can use as a as a word to uh, guide or make someone else do something else. Um, theory, which is when you get a bunch of hypotheses together and you uh, make a educated guess about the world uh, that you try to confirm and uh, it can be used for prediction um, of uh, phenomena. Mm-hmm. And then home, which is where the heart is. Uh, Aww. Home is, uh, yeah, it's the, it's the place that you um, feel safe and comfortable and we explored it in a uh, prompt just a while ago. Yeah. And a homie is someone that you feel safe and comfortable with. A best friend. That's true. Uh, But okay, what's the story you're going to write, Jarvis? Oh, so the story I'm going to write next week is going to be about the bottled water industry. You see, I have a working theory that all of the bottled water that they say is from natural springs is, is from... Um, the only glacier left in the Antarctic. I believe that all of that water is simply from from the water hose out back of an old southern home. You know, I, I feel th- that there is no difference. So this story will be nonfiction of me going directly to these water companies and asking them countless questions asking to see how they process the water asking to see where it's from Mm -hmm. so you know it'll just basically uh cover all of of that on like the the entire process of water while also um uh, paying mind to a lot of the skepticism that is uh surrounding that so um follow me next uh, next monday as i strap my boots up and uh, take on the most powerful industry in the entire world, the water industry. <laughs> the water industry. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be, uh, well, I'll be writing an expose, actually, on Ooh, expose. Uh, the 2006 film uh, Beer Fest. Oh, um, no. Which is a really, it just sucked. I hated it. A, a friend of mine <laughs> was so... I hated Beer Fest. A friend of mine was so hyped to show it to me. He was like, this is the best. This is one of the best movies I've ever watched. And I watched it and I was like, this is just a bad. This is just a comedy about beer. And like, it's it was just so, a long frat party. Yeah. And it was so obsessive about beer. And I thought it was so strange. And it was also like, I don't know. Anyway, there's this part where um, <laughs> at the end, so they have to do a beer chugging competition. This is what the entire film, you know, uh, is is based on this beer chugging uh, competition. But they um, have to do it with uh, they have to chug beer out of Das Boot. It's a it's a boot cup and they have to Ew. like twist it. So like the air bubble moves. And this is like this is like the big uh, thing in the movie. Um, but my theory is that, um, that, that it was, it was really stupid and I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) That's um, a pretty good theory. And, uh, and I'm going to be very direct in my expose and Mm -hmm. about how I watched it at home. And, Mm. uh, I, and I didn't, it's a bad movie, Beer Fest. Don't, it's bad. Don't watch it. 
like is bad. <laughs> That's it. It's all about beer, and I I don't get it. It's fine. Beer's yeah. fine. I don't know why people are obsessed with it. It's fine. Honestly, if you want to watch a doc about alcohol, there's this really good one named Neat, which is all about whiskey. And it's not as pretentious as you might think. Because there's a weird thing about people like caring a lot about the alcohol they, they drink. Caring so much as if they made it themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I only drink so yeah. sake. so. Oh, really? Okay, that's... Good, hot or cold? Uh, lukewarm. <laughs> lukewarm. Okay, right in the middle. Yeah. What's strange about sake <laughs> is that it ranges in in strength from wine to vodka. It's very yeah. really strange to me. And like, I never know like how to pick it, so I normally just get the smallest bottle because I think the smaller the bottle, the stronger it is. Is is that a thing or That's is that just, true. just me? So do okay. so do the right thing. Uh, write a story and don't watch Beer Fest because it's not, it's not a good beer. movie. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. Happy, happy birthday. Soccer. Bye. Happy birthday.